Well, hello and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. This is Laura Camacho. This is episode 160. We have a guest today. Her name is Lee Mart. She's from Berkeley, California, and she is a an author, a co-author of a book called Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise. So this whole episode is going to be about managing noise and how to have more quiet, which I think we would all like to have. And this episode is brought to you by the incredible book called The Practical Guide to Effective Communication by yours truly. Get recognized for the value you already contribute. It's got chapters on everything you need to communicate more effectively at work, to get that promotion, to get credit for your team, to get visibility. And it's a totally different approach. And and I also tie it to culture, like how to build culture through your communication. So that is today's sponsor. And I am super happy to welcome Lee Martz to our show. So Lee, it's so good to have you here. We're super excited. You are talking to a group of people who love silence. (laughs) So um, you're in a very welcoming audience here. But tell us, I know you work solving complex environmental and social problems. Most of us here we that in this audience, we're working, you know, solving technical problems or in finance or the computer world, manufacturing. So maybe we all have a little bit smaller scope, but we would like to know how did you get to where you are being an expert on the value of silence? <laughs> Thanks so much, Laura, for having me. Well, it really was doing that work, that complex work with a lot of scientists and engineers who were trying to, for example, remove toxic chemicals from our products and our supply chains. And then also that was partnering also with cross-sector groups, Fortune 500 companies, academics, NGOs interested in the work. So what I was noticing as a consultant, as a facilitator, bringing them together is that the tendency to want to grab for more content and to do more talking and to kind of come at things in the same old way as they would in normal meetings, packed with data, packed with verbal verbalizing, packed with strategies, that that wasn't really creating the breakthroughs that we needed. And that what we needed was to really get kind of a little bit away from perhaps the PowerPoints, the data and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. at least some of the time, to let in more quiet, to allow for more space for the for the introverts to come in and to offer their mm-hmm. thinking, which is often the thing that, you know, shifts everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I was coming against those kinds of edges where, and also in my own life as a mother of kids and well, I actually have one, sorry, I don't know where that, I don't know where the plural came from, but just one, but I have another <laughs> of a kid and Justin has three children. We were also sort of at our wits end just to, just the stresses and things he's working in Congress and you know the, trying to pro- problem solve there. And our intuition was that the kind of getting out of this point and counterpoint kind of log jam mm-hmm. of thing was not we were not going to get there by more thinking and more talking. It wasn't that's not the route. So then our intuition was to turn to silence and to see what was available there. So we really kind of came at this, book and this notion from a place of, to be honest, exhaustion, mm-hmm. you know, sort of some desperation. <laughs> and um, 
<laughs> yeah. And silence really started to feed us as we mm-hmm. looked there and started exploring it. We wrote an article for Harvard Business Review, much to our surprise, that went viral. And then we thought, wow, okay, so what is this telling us? And we decided to explore writing a book. And it has been an incredible journey of now just over five years of interviewing neuroscientists and poets and executives and a whirling dervish and a man incarcerated on death row, a Grammy-winning opera singer, certainly lots and lots of introverts and lovers of silence, asking them the question, what's the deepest silence you've ever known? That is so cool. And by the way, folks, the article that she mentioned that kind of started this ball rolling is called The Busier You Are, The More You Need Quiet Time. And I just like, I'm dying to get my hands on that because I think it's it's so true. And some people just think, oh, if you're busier, you need more talking. <laughs> no, you right. need less talking. You need to zip the lip and, <laughs> and just tune out a little bit. So you might want to check that out. Uh, the busier you are, the more you need quiet time. I think that, that sounds like a life mantra to me. So you guys wrote that article not expecting like any big deal. Like what it tell us? Tell us a little bit of just about the article. I, I think that would be interesting too. Yeah. So in the article, we're really exploring this idea that perhaps the place to go towards strategy to real, you know, breakthrough idea generation is to actually kind of pull back and mm-hmm. explore quiet. We even propose in that article, which is very short, by the way, not talking for a day to just like uh, <laughs> to, oh my to relieve yourself of the pressures of how to respond and react and you know just that constant verbalizing so that i think created a little bit of interest and perhaps a little friction or tension that people found interesting but it, it's really very simple and we started looking mostly at auditory noise but when we started in with the book exploration and actually talking with people and asking them this question, what's the deepest silence you've ever known? We noticed that what they came to us with were sometimes things of auditory quiet, like maybe being, mm-hmm. you know, spelunking deep in, mm-hmm. in the earth and not hearing this, the familiar sounds or something like that, or being way out in the outback. But they also spoke of experiences that weren't auditorily quiet at all, like births and deaths and moments of awe and moments running a perfect you know, line down rapids or even the 4 a.m. mark of an all-night dance party. So they were speaking to an internal quiet experience. So we thought, ah, so there's external silence and there's internal silence where we're not dealing with the yammer and chatter and rumination and worry and fear and anxiety that's happening inside our minds, which the professor Ethan Cross of University of Michigan estimates that that condensed speech that's going on in most of our heads, not for Mm -hmm. everyone, but most of our heads is equivalent to about 320 state of the union addresses a day. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I guess if it's a Bill Clinton state of the union address, that's (laughs) (laughs) right. So that's a lot compressed speech, often not very helpful dialogue going on internally. So how do we find silence in not just from the outside world and the auditory noise and the informational noise that's coming at us at a far greater rate than has ever been, you know, Mm -hmm. seen, heard, experienced in human history, 
And how do we find silence inside our minds and ourselves, which is also proving to be one of the noisiest experiences in human history as well. Yes. I want to tell you a story about when I thought I was going to experience this deep spatial silence. So in 2016, my son was in the Peace Corps in Lesotho, Africa. Lesotho is a little kingdom inside of South Africa. There was uh, no electricity, no running water. I'm going to spend a few days with him. He's living in a, like, a out, it's not an outhouse because there literally was an outhouse, which is the outdoor latrine, but a, a little room that was its own, like a shack. We'll just say it, it's a shack. And uh, so I was thinking, wow, I'm, I mean, I was just so pumped. I'm going to experience this deep silence. Well, it's actually, it was quite noisy. Oh my gosh, like at 3 a.m., the cocks start crowing and there's owls and there's sheep <laughs> and there's all this racket out in the, literally the middle of nowhere. So I thought, <laughs> well, that was a little surprise to me. I had no idea. And where do you find, like, even if it's your house is quiet, there's an air conditioning like yeah. right now, or there's cars. I mean, is it possible to get to like real total silence? Well, we did do that exploration. Naturally, we had to see if if there was such a thing as silence. And to cut to the chase, the answer is probably not. That mm-hmm. even in the most quiet, still environments, there's still the little hairs in our ears, the cilia. There's still in an anechoic chamber where sound is being, you're prevented from sound and there's no refraction of sound taking place mm-hmm. in those in those uh, spaces, we still hear our, sometimes we hear our blood in circulation or we might hear the ringing of, in our ears of tinnitus Mm -hmm. and there's a, Mm -hmm. or tinnitus, I think it's actually pronounced. So, So in a world that is vibrating, right. And turning and moving and thankfully vibrant. And in that way, there is probably no such thing as absolute silence. But there is an experience, a felt sense of silence without question that is subjective. And we're not so we're not so worried about the perfect, you know, perfect silence. So we spoke with a professor of biobehavioral health and medicine, Joshua Smythe out of uh, Penn State. We were asking him about internal silence to help us come up with a concrete definition. Mm-hmm. As we started, you know, when we asked and we got this like notion of internal silence, it's like, oh yeah, what is the, what is the perfect definition there? Well, he said, quiet is what someone thinks quiet is. Oh, okay. Quiet well, is that's... what we experience as quiet to be. And right. that that seemed at first we were like, oh, okay, well, that that's not really, you know, we realized as we continued on, that was so accurate. That was like sage words spoken. And so it's a subjective experience. It may surprise us what brings us quiet. It's certainly worth noting what is auditorily quiet and how we, what our relationship with silence is in that way. But it's also really important and maybe even more important to notice what is our quiet inside, what creates internal quiet in us. And that might surprise us. So for example, I'm a dance teacher and choreographer as well as a writer and I find my quiet on the day-to-day basis with loud music playing, but no thoughts in my head 
and only in this flow state of communicating dance in the immediate moment to my students, right? Something that I've just created. So it's like, oh, it's taking some skill. All my Mm -hmm. attentional capacity is focused on this. And flow states are remarkably universal. The research of mm-hmm. Csikszentmihalyi, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, said, you know, this is not an industrialized, elitist kind of concept. He found it all over the world that people understood what flow states were when you, sort of, oh, you know, yeah. lose yourself in the best way because you lose actually a sense of self-referential thought. You mm-hmm. lose the self that's talking about the self, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. instead you're immersed. And that is a great, great way to describe internal quiet for many of us. It may be something else. It may be moments of awe. It may be something it might be more like doodling or puzzles or, mm-hmm. you know, gardening. Gardening, yeah, gardening, watching bees, all these things. Here's the, the real takeaway from the book is that quiet is what we think quiet is. And it's worth pursuing the exploration of what really, truly brings you in your sensory experience mm-hmm. a sense of quiet not what you think it will like you like your great example of like oh i think <laughs> if i go to this place it's going to be quiet <sighs> we sometimes think if we meditate it'll be quiet and many of us we're justin and i are both previous meditators i'd say lapsed meditators is probably the better <laughs> okay. way to say so we used to teach you know he used to teach in mm-hmm. us congress i used to do long extensive 10 day retreats and things really quite regularly but in this stage of life with kids and doing mm-hmm. the things we're doing and also just noticing my preferences. What well, my quiet is not found through meditation. And we know a lot of people, and I'm guessing a lot of your listeners maybe also maybe beating themselves up a little bit for that not being their way to quiet. Right. Right. Oh yeah. I'm I'm number I cannot meditate. That just I it I I'm stopped trying. I mean I guess I could. I just doesn't the ROI doesn't seem there for me. I find <laughs> like quiet that. other ways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is, but that is so interesting about, yeah. you know, it's different for every person. And what about the people that just seem to have an allergy to quiet? Is that a personality disorder or we all know someone, I know nobody listening to this has that, but we all know that person <laughs> who just can't be quiet. They just, they feel uncomfortable when it's quiet. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, there's a few ways to look at that. So we do have a whole chapter on why silence is scary. So Mm -hmm. it may just be awkward for them, uh, Mm -hmm. but it may also be scary. And I think that's really worth meeting, kind of validating culturally. You know, I think that, well, there are certain cultures that are much more comfortable with silence. Mm -hmm. Japanese culture is one of them. And, And part of, we look at their cultural value of ma which is a word M-A, and it sometimes is defined as silence. It's sometimes defined as the you know, sort of emptiness and mm-hmm. also as pure potentiality. So ma is baked into their culture. It is a part of their artistic pursuits and like mm-hmm. haiku, poetry, like ikibana flower arrangement, the branches and the petals mm-hmm. are a feature, but the, the empty space around those things is equally a part of the art piece. On a scroll, you'll see a lot of empty space, a lot of ma. 
So there's this in, in architecture and in conversation, even there's space given to really receive the words more of a, you know, more spaciousness there than in the average American kind of banter and workplace talk. Right, right. Yes. That's like, beautiful. Yeah. So this, so culturally, it's not so f- familiar to many of us. It can feel awkward. We can feel at risk. And then really looking deeper, we look at why it's scary from this sort of more deep egoic place. What mm-hmm. is it we're right. afraid to face or to right. know to know about ourselves or our circumstances? Like it's very real. So in the book, we go into great for those who want to take that exploration. We look at all kinds of wisdom traditions that really they're the ones I think to lead in the unpacking of what's happening. And even Nietzsche spoke of the horror vacui, the fear mm-hmm. of the void. So right. this is not a new new fear. <laughs> no, it's really not. And it's, yeah. yes, but you know, I have the I guess the other fear fear not a fear, but I find too much noise. It's like it feels like assaulting to me. Oh, yeah. I lived in Caracas, Venezuela, which used to be a beautiful very vibrant city, but the, and it has this great temperature so that, that they don't have air conditioning or heating, which is very cool, except that everybody has their windows open all the time and then you're in high rises. So you hear conversations, radio, television all the time. And mm-hmm. I mean, of course you adapt, but I just remember, it, you know, when we first moved there, just feeling like I was literally going to go insane because it was just so much noise at unaccustomed times, you know, like at nine at night on the weeknight and you're hearing other noise. So I feel anyway. for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, definitely. I'm, and that's trauma. Another, yeah. yeah. The other thing is, you know, of course, you know, when we're playing our television or having this loud conversation or whatever, we may not, you know, for us, that's sound. Right. right, but for the neighbor, it's noise. It's no, good, good <laughs> so. distinction. Right, right, right. Well, trust me. When in that context, I was the weirdo. Like, what's your problem? They're just having fun, Laura. So, anyway, right. I want to get practical. This is so interesting because, as a communication coach, I all I help people with presentations, but do a lot of other work. But in presentations, particularly, I find that people are have way too much information because of yeah. that cultural tendency more 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 and in meetings you know it's almost the same thing but i remember reading about one company i think it was a it was a woman fashion company i don't remember who the designer was and she would start all of her meetings with a moment of silence have you is that a common practice that you run across that in your research um i don't know how common it is i i do wish more would do it especially if it were paired in my opinion anyway with something mm-hmm. like let's well here's a few ways I can imagine it yeah it let's could, it. It, yeah so it could be about coming together and letting go of all the you know noise and craziness and you know shaking off the road dust you could say of getting there and just getting present to what you're there to do together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so even just saying something like that let's just take a moment to let go of what, you know, all the hassle that it might've taken to get here, the traffic, this, that, the calls, the, you know, and take a few breaths together and get oriented to what we're here to do together today. I love it. Yeah. That could really, in the, you know, for people who are just worried about the ROI, 
that could be really pay off in terms of efficiency because we tend to sort of bring in that all that noise from the world into those meetings and even maybe speak more than we need to say more oh you know repeat what someone else just said all those things mm-hmm. and we're just we're not really conscious to our you know to ourselves and our impact and so that could just help reset a little bit of that mm-hmm. another way that i have heard it used even more often and this really comes from mm-hmm. the Quakers and it co- comes from the Quakers, but one of the former vice presidents of PBS, who was a, who was a birthright mm-hmm. Quaker, brought it into his boardroom and shared this with us that if there's a lot of disagreement and there really seems to be kind of a, we're at a, an impasse, we're not making it anywhere mm-hmm. to just call for just a moment of silence to just sort of regroup. How can we solve this problem without blame? How can we find our common, our place of alignment? Just give a moment to that and then kind of proceed with this difficult conversation. So using it to set the tone, using it to reset if we're in a difficult moment, those are, you know, just two easy ways. And we're talking about a minute probably. Right. And there's time for that. There's just time for that. (laughs) Absolutely. And I'm also thinking of another thing I work with people on is they're like these difficult, challenging conversations, you know, giving some feedback that is or receiving the feedback that I think it might be useful to allow space for quiet, even though it's a work conversation, we don't have to fill every single minute with chatter, noise and information. Yeah. And you don't have to call what you're doing meditating because you're not, you're just taking a moment, you know? Right. Right. You can do that to regroup, to ground, to connect, to, you know, orient, like I said, to that shared purpose. So I really think it's powerful to bring in silence into meetings like this. And you were also mentioning meetings, which we tend to put back to back in the most absurd way. I mean, I work with a lot of, (laughs) a lot of executives who you know, they tell me their meeting ends at four and the next one starts at four. Well, how is that possible? You know, in what world is that possible? (laughs) It's so true. It is so true. So to just shake off, and a lot of people are doing this. I I feel like there's some progress being made, like the sacred cow of the one hour meeting is is finally being addressed there. Oh, yeah. So um, could it be a 45 minute? Could it be it? Does it need to be a meeting at all? That kind of thing, you know, and we're learning about that too, as we deal with Zoom exhaustion and things like that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think there's some great opportunities for really reconnecting to the, how we did things and what do we really need to do? And what really is just, you know, adding too much of a toll or tax on our attentional networks Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they are quite limited. And that, that capacity attentionally, like it hasn't increased in hundreds of thousands of years. So so we can't do more. We just can't. We have to do less in order to do better at focusing on the things that really matter. So tell why don't you tell us one of the stories from your book or from your other experiences, a story about the power of golden silence, you know, how it how you've seen it change things for people. Mm. Well, I, I think I'll stick to a workplace experience yeah. for starters. Just what's coming to my mind is this executive, Michael Barton, who was early in the open office work plan era when Ugh. it was thought to be utopian Ugh. and Ugh. help with, you know, yeah. uh, limiting the hierarchy and 
fostering cross-pollination and all those things that are not really proving to be true as most of the listeners know, but you know, it was definitely a nice idea. <laughs> right. But, yeah. Some people actually the, the first to complain about the open office work plan was the introverts and those working on deep focused content who needed that concentration. So those in finances, those analysts and coders, things like that. So they were struggling. Meanwhile, the sales and marketing people were having a blast. They were, there was no problem. You know, they were getting to talk with each other and, Hey, what about this? What about that? So there was a presumption, a default in that environment that anyone could be interrupted at any time mm-hmm. because they're right there. They're right there. Right. You're just, you're just you're right. right there. You want your, you have a question, you just ask them. They're right there. So that was the default. So Michael was approached by one of these analysts who was totally at his wits end. He was unable to focus on his work. He was frustrated to death. And incoming, in, in addition to that regular in-person interruption, there was an increasing use of instant messaging and the sense of this need for constant connectivity and all these things. So it was just really what, you know wearing him down and other people felt the same way. So he suggested that they launch an experiment, that they try wearing these red sashes Imagine sort of a like a Miss America kind of strap of, <laughs> of uh, fabric, red, about three inches wide and three feet long, that one would put over their heads. And that would be like, I'm out of office. You know, obviously I'm not out of office, but I'm out of office. Don't disturb me. Right. And so it's not that that was so much the panacea and everything changed in the, you know, the end of the story. This was at Sydney Search, by the way, but mm-hmm. the, the end of the story is everyone was happy, but it's more illustrative of the fact that they started to talk about the problem of noise and the need for focus and quiet. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. started getting them experimenting and getting them out of their default, which Mm -hmm. was, you know, loud. So I shared this story because that was such a, a great kind of wacky example of some problem solving, but then they went into like, okay, little booths to do work, little phone booth size things, or how about a tech cave? Okay. That, and they just kind of kept in conversation about this, trying to take into account everyone's needs because people's needs are diverse and their preferences are diverse as well. So how do we find this space of of where we can share silence, where we can let, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that kind of time exist together, as well as the boisterous problem brainstorming, you know, stuff that, that is also needed also in the workplace, but how can we have more of a both and approach instead of just, just noise? (laughs) Exactly. And, and, you know, the interruptions, you think about that, I think is almost more disruptive than just, if it's a steady level of of actual audio noise, but of course you've made the distinction that we're talking about something that's much more complex than that, but interruptions just throw you off. And uh, it's actually one of the, I think it's the number one cause or somehow it's a top factor in nurse medication errors is that they get interrupted. And, I believe it. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I haven't seen those, but just for a validation on that, that researchers have found that most people switch to different online content, like every 19 seconds at this point with, you know, all the text with hyperlinks and thing, you know, we just are continually doing that. And then the research, that same research suggests that the average person spends one full hour per day, every day working to get back on track. Wow. 
Oh my gosh. Super. And your listeners will know this in their bodies. Like when they, I was like, yes. is it only one hour a day? Cause I would think that <laughs> it, might, it might be more for me, but the folks working in cognitive sciences and attention study of attention mm-hmm. really liken our attention to molasses more than water. So when we switch from one thing to another, it's more like molasses taking a, ch- a course of, you know, a change in its course. Right. You know, there's just like this, just loss and this drag and, you know, it doesn't, it's not, it's not like that. No, it is. It isn't. It isn't. Yeah. So I'm hoping those of you listening to this, you're, because I know most of you are like dying to have more silence or quiet in your, in your life at work and home. And that you can use what Lee is sharing with us to explain to your teams or maybe implement small ways of inserting little bits of silence and and at least understand that we don't have to have inputs coming at us, you know, all the time, that we will actually work better, live better, be healthier if we have this break from the noise. What it, and in her book, which again is called Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise, there's 33 ways to find silence at the end. So Lee, what, what are the ways that you, that are your go-tos for mm. when you need quiet? Because I'm sure with this promoting the book, <laughs> you've been talking a lot. Yeah, there's so many. And, and these also, of course, come from the people that we interviewed because we wanted it to be more diverse than just our experiences as humans with you know, our preferences and things like that. So we got a lot of great suggestions and sort of tried to keep them diverse so that people could think of these not so much as prescriptive, but as something to maybe just try, be that experimental mindset, right? Just try and see what you learn, right? Mm -hmm. To just keep that kind of approach to this so that we're not stuck in thinking about what should work from our minds, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. I should be able to meditate. I sh- it, it should be quiet where I'm going to see my son, you know, and instead just notice what's true. What really brings us into quiet? When are we maybe, for me, it's maybe my diaphragm is more relaxed. Mm-hmm. My thinking feels clear. I'm more observant to the outside world. And those are great times for me to innovate, come up with something, you know, fun, interesting, and just be a better, more attuned human. <laughs> Right. <laughs> to things around me. So that's the benefit. But let me na- give you a couple examples. So, mm-hmm. so little gifts of silence is one of these. So this is really, okay, we're just work, we're just out in the world and things are not going our way. We would say like, there's a long line, there's traffic, the streaming of our audiobook or podcast has stopped. And rather than get frustrated in that moment, to just take that moment of quiet to not reach for our phones and fill it with something else to just ah, look silence has come. Let's appreciate silence. So that's a basic one. Believe me, it'll probably happen to any of your listeners within, within the day, right? Right. <laughs> you know, right. unexpected, unexpected delays, waylays, lines, things like that. There's also this really simple idea of just doing what you do, because this is not about adding a whole bunch more to-dos to your very busy listeners' lives, but do what you already do, but maybe 10% slower with a bit more attention. Oh, I love that. That is very cool. 10% slower. So the person we spoke with, they were talking about their coffee making ritual, and this Mm -hmm. will hit some of you right at home that 
the that just the ritual of making coffee to put just a bit more attention to it to bring a little bit more of a of an experience of ritual. I'm taking out. She's doing this with an unpretentious like coffee drip, you know. Right, But she takes out there. I think she she unseals the the device. It does a little swoosh. You know, she enjoys the sound. She enjoys the smell. She puts it in the back of her little auto drip thing. Pours the perfect amount of water, and she just does it more like a ritual. So when we can greet things in our day more like a ritual, take it ten percent slower. We are bringing quiet in to that experience. Love that. Do you think, let me ask you, I don't know if you want to share another one, but I want to, I want to ask you something just related to communication. So people often, you know, speak quickly when they're nervous. That's a, you know, normal thing. And when you practice slowing down, but there's always that fear that if I speak too slowly, they're going to get bored. Can you, do you have anything to say to that? I mean, I think that's an interesting. I haven't been asked that exactly, but here's here's me riffing on that. Okay, yeah. I think when when, <laughs> when someone is really connected to what they're trying to communicate and why their purpose, there's a presence that they bring to that communication. I'm trying to do that right now with you, right? Just sort of like. Why does it matter to communicate? I'm slowing down my voice. And we know we modulate our voices. It's important to modulate our voices if we're just monotone and if we're just going at the same rate. Right. You know, people will tune out. But there is a way to hold that, you know, to hold people's attention, to slow them down, and to basically say, this part is really important. Listen closely you know, and to give a little space and whether they appreciate or get bored or, you know, who knows, we can't necessarily control that, but that variation will be helpful to their attentional capacities. No question. And they will listen better. (laughs) There's just so much we can take in. The science is there. It's like, there's only so much information we can take in. So this default to content, to cramming more data, you know, and doing more and faster and all this stuff, putting more in agenda, putting more in a retreat, you know, it's supposed to be a retreat, but there's not a moment to breathe. That is problematic. That is not serving us in our work or our lives. Yes. Keeping everything at a very superficial level and very cliche. We're just not doing anything new. And that drives me crazy. I mean, I mean, not that it has to be new, but it has to be deep. It has to be real. And you can't do that if you're operating at that level. And, and, so yes, I, I agree that being quiet, even if you just stop talking in the middle of a sentence, people will be like, what is what? she going to say next? <laughs> <laughs> one, one, yeah. One of our mottos with the chemists that I work with, these are chemists trying to remove toxic chemicals. When we go out to the redwoods to do our work, our motto is slow down. There isn't much time. Oh, okay. Right? Slow down. There isn't much time. That's beautiful and very profound. And we can keep that in our own life. Like it's just, if, oh, this is really important and we want to speed up and I'll do that too. Like I get it. I'll get a little worked up and, oh, but yes, if it's really important, let us slow down, connect to what we're here to do. And then, you know, move from there. There isn't much time. Love that. There isn't much time. Slow down. That is awesome. Well, this has been very enlightening, refreshing, delightful conversation. I just want to ask if you 
read this Catholic Cardinal Robert Sarah wrote The Power of Silence uh, and a Dictatorship of Noise or something like that is a several years ago. And I read it, not all of it, but it, it was more of like a recording of a conversation with him. Because like, you do address, you know, the religious component of silence. And you, I think, tell it, just speak a little bit to that and, and we'll because I know yeah. we're running out of time, so speak slowly. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll slow down because there isn't much time. Yeah, it's, you know, the book takes us on a tour through sort of the state of the world right now, mm-hmm. how important it is to connect with silence, to really stay clear in our intentions, where we put our time in, not just in our work, but in our lives. You know, it matters very much. We then look at the science of silence and the true toll of noise on us and really your difficulties in the high-rise apartments like that was very that's also very real you know there's an, mm-hmm. a toll there's an impact on our sleep on our health cardiovascularly are uh, all kinds of there's all kinds of ramifications and then we turn out to the spirit of silence where we look at this fascinating thing which is that all the world's great wisdom traditions honor silence in some way, shape or form. And what is there to learn there? What is there to unpack? So that's a whole area. And then we open up into the practical field guide to finding silence. And we do that as individuals. We look at an individual's choices, options in their own exploration, but also how do we do that as co-workers and how do we do that as family members and friends? And then how can we do that as a society? How can we bring more of an appreciation for silence into our culture to make more space for so many things, for introverts, for children's voices to come in, for you know the more marginalized voices in our society come in, for nature to be heard, all kinds oh. of things, you know? So there's a lot to gain. So even though we talked about how silence is scary for some and awkward for others and you know all kinds of things, there's so much to be gained. There's so much to be experienced in the silence. And so I just want to invite your listeners to to appreciate it, check it out. Yes, I'm. I know they're all saying, thinking to themselves, "Yes, I want more silence. Let's <laughs> go slower." I love bringing the experience of ritual, and I think you know you've given us several practical applications because a lot of our the listeners also have kids or in laws living with them. I mean, we all have a lot a lot going on. So we just need to slow down and then find ways to bring some quiet so that we we can transcend the level of thinking, right? Don't you think that, you know, Einstein said that you can't solve a problem at the level of thinking that created it. So that's but the, right. you're not gonna talk your way to that. And Mm-mm. that's a, I think a misconception. Absolutely. And it was our misconception too, but we finally came to that intuition that the solutions to these problems was not going to be generated by more thinking and talking. So we kind of, we puttered out, we exhausted ourselves, we got frustrated, and then we turned to silence and it has been awesome. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much, Lee. I really appreciate your generosity and your being so present and so connected and sharing so many insights about silence and your research And uh, I'm going to say goodbye to you all. I want you all to just enjoy some quiet right now. And I will talk to you in another episode. Bye-bye.